Welcome to the podcast. My name's Todd Fraser. Central venous catheterization is one of the most common interventions performed in the critical care environment. It provides valuable information and allows access to the central circulation for stable venous access. However, infection of these important devices can lead to disastrous morbidity and even mortality. Dr John Gowardman is an intensivist at the Royal Brisbane Hospital in Queensland, Australia. He was recently part of a committee that developed guidelines for central venous insertion and maintenance on behalf of the Australian Commission on Safety and Quality in Healthcare and the Australia and New Zealand Intensive Care Society. I've invited him onto the podcast to share his views on this dreaded complication. Welcome, John. Thank you. Now, you were uh, part of the panel that developed these new guidelines for the ANZICs and for the Australasian Commission of Safety and uh, Quality in Healthcare. Can you tell me how those guidelines came into being? Yeah, those uh, guidelines, which have just been published um, on the ANZICs website, uh, came into being through a project called the Clancy Project, which was um, really um, developed by ANZICs uh, and... Uh, Primary goes really to try and bring the uh, rates of catheterised uh, uh, bloodstream infection uh, down across the uh, across the, uh, the two nations, um, across the two uh, countries, um, but also to develop some standardised definitions and ways of managing and treating and diagnosing um, uh, catheterised bloodstream infections. Um, and as a result of that, uh, they uh, developed the CLAP uh, uh, project, uh, which uh, which was based, um, which was an ambitious initiative. From those, um, a number of uh, initiatives were, were developed, including um, the guidelines, which which you're referring to, um, which kind of uh, I guess um, underpin um, the management of intravascular devices. Um, and standardise it much as um, the uh, ANZICs have developed guidelines for the management of the, um, of the um, brain death, etc. So I think it was a way of um, of trying to uh, bring together um, uh, units to, to, with some simple, straightforward definitions and um, and, and, and to try and uh, reduce the rate of this important infection um, in our intensive care unit. John, you mentioned the uh, the issue of definition there. It seems that there are a number of definitions that have been used in the literature. Why is it that it's been so hard to develop a consensus definition, and are we moving towards that now? Yeah, I think I think that's an important question. Um, a number of definitions do exist, and that is extremely confusing. Um, the, the definitions, uh, I guess, have been led by the um, CDC guidelines, which have been... Um, in operation now for many years. But um, aside from that, I think the important um, distinction um, is that uh, many research or quantitative papers or publications in this area look at the definition of catheter-related bloodstream infection, or CRBSI. And that definition is the definition of uh, one that relies on a semi-quantitative or quantitative uh, culture of catheter tip um, combined with a positive bloodstream uh, identification of, a, of an organism in the bloodstream with someone with a catheter that's obviously been in situ and removed. That definition, however, does rely on the removal of the catheter, um, 
but it is the gold standard um, as far as uh, definitions go. However, it's largely an impractical definition for many um, many units because most uh, now have swung towards surveillance rather than removal. Um, and so we have a surveillance definition, which is the so-called clavity um, or um, central line associated bloodstream infection as opposed to the related. And the ANZIC, guide, the ANZIC project um, really was targeted at um, surveillance definition. And surveillance definitions really rely on um, assessing a bloodstream infection or a, or a positive blood culture in the presence of an intravascular device and making a surrogate assessment of um, uh, the denominator uh, using a, you know, a surrogate for line days. Um, clearly, this can be, um, you know, if you have a line day calculation, say, for example, from an electronic uh, record, that's fine, but many patients, many places don't. And um, so there's a, a, what they've gone to is a, a, an assessment of how many patients um, in the unit, in a unit per, per week or per day, or whatever you tell you want to call it, the unit time, have an intravascular device in situ and making making an assessment of the um, um, of, of the line infection rate from that. So it's really, really we have a surveillance definition, and this has been um, this has uh, been in, um, underpinned by the uh, uh, by the CDC um, uh, and published in their guidelines. Um, from the uh, National Health Safety Network, um, and we have a, a, a more research definition, if you like, where the, where the catheter is removed. So it can be quite confusing, um, but I think the definitions are becoming more standardised now, and I think people are now moving towards um, using a um, you know using a surveillance definition, and um, the the uh, uh, the uh, Australian Commission on Safety and Quality in Healthcare have published um, uh, an implementation guide for surveillance of infections, which is quite well laid out and really relatively straightforward and simple to read, which I think is a very useful reference. John, do we have a, an agreement now on, on what uh, the standard intensive care unit should be monitoring? Is it that surveillance definition that you spoke of? Yeah, I think I think so. I think it's impractical for, for lines to be pulled out and, uh, and cultured um, and many, you know, and many lines, um, uh, the lab will not, cult, you know, will not culture them unless the lines suspected of being infected. Um, the routine culture of lines is no longer indicated. Um, it's, it's a waste of resources and is not advocated. Um, so I think most people are now moving towards the uh, more, more towards the surveillance definitions, which um, are relatively straightforward for uh, most units to be to be doing. Although uh, remain somewhat a little bit labour intensive and in, in, in someone has to do a do a patients with devices and, um, and then make an assessment um, of the um, of blood culture positivity result, which can be a little time consuming, but nevertheless it's probably the most um, the, the most uh, uh, cost effective and and acceptable way of, of, of getting your rate of infection. John, you mentioned the uh, the concept of rates there and, and the, the variable uh, denominators that can be used. What is the the acceptable rate? Is there something that can be defined as an acceptable rate? And we've we've obviously heard talk over the years of zero rate. Yeah. And are, are these achievable? Do you think? 
Yeah, that's a good point as well. Um, you know, I, my own personal feeling is that zero rates are not achievable. Um, there will always be a, um, a rate of uh, inspection of these devices. It's a little bit like, like a readmission rate, I guess, if you're patient. You know, a readmission rate of zero is, is not really feasible, nor is the rate, zero rate of uh, catheter-related bloodstream infection feasible. Um, certainly the aim has been to strive for zero rates, um, but um, uh, I don't think this is personally uh, going to be achievable. Um, we should certainly be aiming for you know, very low rates, and certainly um, uh, in the New South Wales um, study that's just been published by um, Mary Louise, Louise McClaw and uh, Tony Burrell, the, the, the rate you know, was a, you know, a, a very um, standardised um, uh, approach to sterility where we're brought down to around about the mid you know, 1.5 from about from about the mid threes. Um, certainly, um, I don't have a particular rate in my mind, but certainly a rate around less than two, you know, 1.5 to two would would be, I think, acceptable in most places. However, um, it does need to be indexed to the type of unit you're working in, you know, your patient acuity um, and case mix, and also the institution that you're working in. Um, clearly. Uh, uh, the, the, uh, the, the more complex your institution and the more complex your case mix, the higher the rate will be. So there are a lot of factors that impinge on that rate, and I think one single rate um, is, uh, is very difficult to actually uh, target, although, um, you know, the, the strive internationally is, 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 for, is for low rates, and in the sort of landmark provenance study um, from the new, published in New England a few, weeks, a few years ago, you know, their rates came down to, um, you know, down to about 1.5, 1.6 a thousand catheter days, um, and we're maintained at that level um, with post the intervention. So I think those rates are achievable, um, and I think we should be striving for those type of rates. But I don't think a zero rate is practically, um, is practically achievable. It seems in the literature in recent years we've had less of the magic bullet therapy, the, the single intervention that's going to change our rates, and more of a focus on implementation of bundles of care. Yeah. Uh, what has this shown? Well, certainly the, um, the bundled care approach uh, does work, um, and certainly it's been very effective for um, uh, intravascular device-rated infection. Um, I think if you uh, look at one strategy... Um, in singularity, um, it's not as effective as, as combining a strategy. So I think the most important um, aspect has been the um, application of um, strict sterile technique, um, uh, you know, and, and the use of um, uh, uh, appropriate skin antiseptic, which is which should be a you know a two percent of alcohol bleaching solution. Combined with, you know, um, absolute sterility in terms of uh, gown mask, um, cap, um, and full, full, full size drape. Um, and but not only that, I think uh, the aftercare of lines is important. Um, how you dress them, um, how you manage the set, and um, I think it's the combination of all those uh, factors um, thrown in together that brought the brought the rates down. Um, and I, and I think the package is important um, rather than each individual intervention.
Nonetheless, if I could uh, draw your attention to some of those individual things uh, for a moment. The first of those would be the, the site of infection, and it's, it certainly seems that the infection rate is reduced for subclavian lines, but there seems to be some concerns still about the increase or possible increase of mechanical complications at that site. Do you think that's um, justified now? Yeah, um, I think the, if you look at the infection rate, um, if you look at the actual bloodstream infection rate, it's... It, catheter-related bloodstream infection rate between the sites. Um, a number of studies um, have not shown any difference. But that's simply because the, uh, well, part of the reason is the numbers need to show a difference. They're extremely large and the infection is becoming increasingly uncommon. So it's very hard to show a difference in bloodstream infection rate and well-maintained lines between, it, between the femoral, the clavian and jugular sites. However, what we do observed consistently in most studies is a, is a marked reduction in colonisation at the subclavian site and colonisation precedes bloodstream infection. So um, the, most studies have shown um, significantly cleaner lines in terms of colonisation at the subclavian site. That's offset against um, a okay, slight increase in mechanical complications but um, I think that the data on that are once again somewhat conflicting and some studies have shown no difference in complication rate, some studies have shown a higher mechanical complication rate and once again I think it really depends on your patient. Um, you know, uh, the line choice is often dependent on the patient, someone that's at risk of um, significant deterioration with pneumothorax or, or coagulopathy and with the risk of puncture of the artery you know, it's probably very reasonable to avoid the subclavian site and move to another site. Um, and I think if the line's well maintained, what the studies have shown is that uh, um, if, the, if the good sterility, um, proper insertion technique, and early prompt removal of lines when they're no longer indicated, the rate of bloodstream infection is probably no different between the three sites. Um, so I think it really depends, you know, largely on... Uh, your operator experience, obviously, but also your patient cohort and how you manage your line. Um, but certainly you're right, the, the, the plavian is the cleanest line in terms of colonisation. Presumably ultrasonography has played a part in reducing the mechanical complications associated with that, do you think? Yes, it has. It's certainly at the, jugular, at the internal jugular site. Um, and uh, not only um, reducing mechanical complications, but also probably also reducing infection rates at that site, although the studies are quite small. Um, nevertheless, the CDC guidelines um, do recommend the use of um, ultrasound now for placement of lines um, if the operator is trained in its use. Um, so um, that, that, that's, been, that's really been added to the latest guidelines. So I think it does actually um, any mechanical complications are reduced at the, certainly the jugular site with ultrasound, yes. The other issue that's often quite contentious is the role of antibiotic impregnated lines. Um, when are they justified? Um, do you have an opinion on that? Yeah, I think that um, uh, the I've always regarded them as, be, as being useful in those patients where you've got a high-risk cohort with a line that's been for a reasonable length of time and, in fact, um, previous uh, iterations of the CDC guidelines have suggested that if the patient has uh, 
John, the guidelines were relatively equivocal when it came to the issue of chlorhexidine washing, but there seems to have been a resurgence in the literature just in the last couple of months. Um, what has this shown? Yeah, I think, yes, there has. I mean, I think that uh, chlorhexidine body washes um, have shown a reduction in colonisation. I mean, chlorhexidine is a very effective uh, skin antithesis uh, agent, and um, most of the studies have shown that... Um, uh, using chloroquine, that the, the colonisation of devices is, is reduced with the use of chloroquine. Um, and some people have, have uh, amalgamated into their, um, into their bundle, if you like. Uh, uh, I, I don't personally, uh, have personally use it, we, we don't use it here, but, but, but there, are, um, there are advocates for the use of chloroquine, um, uh, sponges and bathing in it. I guess the one situation that troubles many people in clinical practice is that special line, isn't it, the, where uh, the clinician is reticent to give up a line that's functioning in the context of sepsis uh, yeah. without another cause. And I was just wondering what your approach to that is, and particularly, um, or firstly, with removal or rewiring lines. What were the recommendations about that? Uh, for rewiring lines? Um, what we would, uh, they're not rewiring a line routinely isn't recommended, um, does increase infection rates um, 
and you're often putting a, a new line back down an infected tunnel. Um, however, um, there are some circumstances when rewiring a line may be warranted, um, in particular if you've got a, um, a, a precious access point, um, a line that's um, malfunctioning but you wish uh, in a patient who, who, who access is difficult. Um, uh, and the, the key thing about rewiring, I think, is that um, uh, whilst we generally don't recommend it, there may be there's subgroups of patients where access is precious and rewiring may be reasonable. Um, in those cases where a line is rewired, <laughs> we would normally recommend that the tip be sent off the culture and um, if it returns uh, positive, um, um, using sort of a semi-quantitative approach or uh, whatever your lab do, then we would recommend removing the line um, and replacing it. But yes, rewiring is generally not used, but it, it, there may be certain subgroups of patients where it is indicated and, 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 um, and quite, quite validly so. Um, the assessment of lines, precious lines that you, you don't want to remove, um, is difficult and at the moment um, it really isn't, really isn't a good way um, of assessing a line in situ, so to speak. However, um, there, have been, there have been some studies on um, sort of watchful waiting strategies where you've got a, um, a, a lowish risk patient and you don't, and you want to preserve the line and, and, and these have had some success but they've been in low risk subsets. Um, if you, the, 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 the assessment of a line in situ is difficult and there are, there are some studies, there are some, um, invest, some tests that have that proven useful, for example, um, semi-quantitative skin swaps around the line site. Um, have extremely high negative predictive values. So if you um, swap the actual hubs of the line or around the skin entry side of the line and, um, and, and culture it on the standard agar plate, um, if you have got time to wait, then those cultures are negative. Um, what's been shown in a number of, a number of studies is those lines hardly ever infected. The infection rates are extremely low if the skin side is, is negative. Um, the other, the other um, way of assessing a line in situ really um, is the uh, use of differential time to positivity, um, which relies on um, uh, drawing cultures through the line and peripherally, and uh, assessing to see whether there's any growth on on the blood cultures, and then looking at the um, positivity differential between the two the two line sites um, between the two sites of cultures, and that's shown to be quite sensitive and specific in, in many patient groups, including uh, critically ill patients. Um, but um, there aren't many other ways of assessing lines in situ. Um, uh, there's been some work um, by some groups around the world looking at um, uh, sort of brushing lines or putting a brush in and, and looking at the count on the brush. Um, and this often been done in combination with with sort of acridine orange staining of, 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 the, of the white cells in, in, the, in the brush specimen. And that's had variable success, but never really has caught, caught, off, caught on because it's labour intensive and difficult. Um, but certainly um, the, the semi-quantitative skin culture technique and probably differential time to positivity are both, are both um, fairly easily accessible and, and probably reasonably good ways of assessing 
lines if you're going to employ a watchful waiting strategy or you want to preserve a line um, uh, such as you know possibly in the haematology oncology group um, or patients like that and there has been some um, some success with that strategy although it's not um, not caught off and taken off on the uh, and the, the more acutely ill patients simply because the acuity of illness is much higher. You mentioned the watchful wait approach there, and, and that's something that's that sometimes come up with those special lines. Is there a role for um, antibiotic therapy, anti-lock or antibiotic lock therapy, or do all infected lines need to come out? No, um, certainly um, anti, anti micro, anti-lock therapy, ethanol-lock therapy has been uh, successfully employed in... Uh, and sterilising uh, some uh, some type of long-term line, um, and that is another alternative strategy in, in the in the longer-term line, which may need to be um, which a clinician may want to preserve. Um, certainly, I think I think it's more of a strategy employed or employable in, in you know in, in the patients with say um, you know the, the the more longer acting. The, sorry, the um, the uh, you know the um, the longer duration lines in situ. Um, but yes, that, that, that can be effective and um, studies have shown that that does work as well and may be an effective strategy in those lines where you want to uh, keep the line. John, thanks very much for your time today to shed some light on this very important area. Thank you very much. If you enjoyed today's podcast, why not visit our websites, Critique and Crit Nurse. Our websites are leading providers of critical care education resources. Our sites contain podcasts, video presentations and modules, searchable libraries and image databases, and much, much more. Critique can be found at www.crit-iq.com.au and critnurse at www.crit-nurse.com. Alternatively, visit our podcast page on the iTunes site and give us a high five.